Friday edition of Smith and Jones right here on Sportsnet 590 at the Fan. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And if you're digging out, you got the earbuds in. We'll keep you company if you're on the roads. 10 and 2 and focus in on 590 as we will keep you company as well. Another dumping, Jonesy. And I'll tell you what, thank goodness All-Star Weekend is not in Toronto this weekend. Because I don't know, what do you think, Jonesy? Would we Would we get more heat? No pun intended. Would we get more heat, more more angst, more criticism, you think, from from average Joe, uh, NBA fan, NBA player, NBA coach, NBA pundit for snow and the chaos of trying to get into the city in the midst of a storm? Or would it be for what happened seven years ago when it was like minus 72 for three days? Oh, we'd, this would be the worst because it would it would further perpetuate and punctuate stereotypes about Canada. Oh, my God, it went for All-Star Weekend. There was nine feet of snow, and I couldn't get in. And it was it was minus 12, which is really only, like, you know, by, what, Fahrenheit 12, 15. Like, it's not like they think minus 12 Fahrenheit, minus 12 Celsius, but well, nine feet of snow, and it was so cold, and, like, you couldn't go anywhere and had to wear a mask. And, li- like, like they're just they would just be frying us they would be like they they would they would be pascal siakam fred they, they would be fred van vliet against orlando that night with what do you have 56 54 <laughs> what, whatever 54 54 54 yeah. just cooking every dude he they put in front of him they would they would kill us and the nba would hear about it the u.s would hear about it and then international journalists that weren't really sure of the stereotype, like coming from somewhere in Europe or South America, whatever, they'd be like, oh yeah, they're right. You know, the one, the one and done judgment that would, it would kill us. I I said to Lance this morning, uh, you know, I helped some people shovel out. I was like a walking turnover today. I was to use the line. I was dribbling it like a football, just could not get out of my own way. And uh, (laughs) so I'm sure I'm sure we'd we'd hear about it, E. We would. Well, you're, we would you're, you're out of your it. element now, right? You haven't been used to shoveling for a few years, Jonesy. So it's like I know. It's, it's like I know. It's like uh, you know, learning to ride a bike again for you or something. I, I would say this, and it's the one thing that people ask me all the time, Jonesy. Do you still play ball? Do you still hoop? I'm like, oh hell no. I I haven't played. I haven't played in a pickup game in. I would say at least ten years. At least ten. I I, I can stay like a legit pickup game, a legit like a legit, legit pickup, game. pickup game where yeah. I was going hard, and like I said, I was the chef. I was frying people and talking smack and tell them about their shirts too big and they're too slow, and I'm so quick I can get in bed before I turn before to turn off the light and get in bed before it gets dark, and you know like oh I'm calling bank on this one left side. Come on, you should know that. Like I, like I don't I don't I don't do that anymore because my mouth would write checks my body can't cash, and I I started feeling that immediately after I graduated from school, because like when you're graduate when you're playing on a varsity team, you are practicing every day, every day, and you get a you get an 18 footer that's wide open you let it go and it's like hey man, in the words of the great New York Nick Dick Barnett fall back baby. That that's in that's in the bottom. Fall back, baby. And I started playing pickup just a few years after I left school. And you know, you, you and one, you put a guy on the ground and pull up, and you miss the shot. It doesn't mean anything. 
So after that, it's like, yeah, you're not sharp. So don't expect to be anymore. So I just, you know, I, I just, I just, I just kind of let it go. But to your original question, we'd be getting killed by the NBA and yeah. everybody around if they came. Well, and, and and listen, I gotta, I, I gotta tell you, I'm like, I hope it's snowing in Cleveland like this. Well, I just, I just, you're you're reading my mind again. We've been working together too long here. I I called up the weather while you were talking because I I owned the storm last night. I went out. At about 11.15, did an hour in the midst of the storm. I even took a picture trying to, you know, freak out my wife in the morning. Took a picture of my beard just covered in icicles and nastiness when I walked in last night after an hour outside in the midst of the storm. But it helped me this morning because I still had to do about an hour this morning. But I laid down a little bit of salt and I had already done like a big bulk of it. So this morning was easy until, of course, the plow showed up, which, you know, that meant even more work trying to dig the pile at the bottom. Yeah. But hey, better better that at least we can get off the street now. But so right now, I'm doing the show standing up because I can't sit. My back is killing me. My shoulders feel like they're about to fall off, and I'm sure that's probably the feeling of just about everybody listening right now that had to shovel. But they're doing it in Cleveland too. The Cleveland weather is identical, basically, to the to the Toronto weather right now. If my can you see me air punching? Can you see me? Can you see me (laughs) air punching through the radio? It is currently minus 8 in Cleveland, feels like minus 15, which is about identical to what it is right now. And unless I'm reading incorrectly, there is a winter storm warning in effect in Cleveland as well. Um, I don't know if it's already passed or, or, or if it's still coming. They are expecting about a centimeter of snow later today and into tonight, so that's not much. So maybe the storm is ending for them. And I don't know if it's the weather on the Toronto end or the Cleveland end or both. But Raptors Media Relations sent out the note already through Twitter that Precious Achua and Scotty Barnes are going to miss the Rising Stars practice. Not the game, not the game, but the practice. They're going to miss the practice because they weren't able to get to Cleveland uh, in time due to weather slash travel delays. So I would assume that that could be the case for some other folks, depending on how the storm is hitting the uh, especially the uh, east coast or at least the northeast central etc but again that's that's the extent of my uh, my weatherman uh, update for the day i guess good good i'm glad cleveland is is uh i'm glad cleveland's cleveland's getting that too um and uh no no disrespect intended but you know they're they're uh, they're right beside a lake too and they get snow and ice and whatever so uh let let's let's hear what the what the complaints are. They won't be nearly as bad as Toronto as I pull up my Toronto Raptors Canadian complex, but, uh, which I, I, which I have under very good control, but, um, that's, that's good. We'll we'll see how it is. We'll see how it is. And and you know what, in the midst of wherever it is, you just got to tell yourself you're going to have fun. How about, did you see Shaq's the, the band last night, Shaq, Kenny, Charles, Ernie at the rock and roll hall of fame and doing their thing. Uh, Shaq, Shaq is one of the great characters and showmen in the NBA. In addition to being a, a you know a, a dominant and and terrific player in his day, um, he is he is just lots of fun, lots of fun to be around. He uh, he is no doubt about it. And there's a there's a video going around too of uh, speaking of Gary Trent Senior the other night of, of Shaq walking out onto the tarmac wherever he was. I don't know if it was in Atlanta, Cleveland. getting you know from the no no no. But I'm saying was it at the Turner Studios because it was walking out to the plane. Oh okay. Where yeah, he was yeah, 
he was walking out to the plane, and he had on a huge fur coat, obviously for Shaq, huge fur coat. But he had the he had the old school Davy Crockett big furry hat on as well, and and making his way out to the plane. But you're right. He, I mean, even did you see the clip of him? The 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 uh, the clip from Super Bowl last weekend where he was sitting in the stands in Los Angeles. So, talk about hopscotch in L.A., back to Atlanta for Turner, then up to Cleveland. But they put him on the big board. And I don't know if it was a kiss cam or more of a celebrity cam. I think it was just the celebrity cam. They're going around and showing all the people the Super Bowl. And then it gets on Shaq, and he, like, sticks out his tongue and starts flicking his tongue real fast and just hamming it up for the big board and the big screen. Like, you're right. He is the ultimate character. And I'll say again um, – I can't remember, Jonesy. Who were we talking to about this? Uh, I don't know if it was Bon Temps or or Dan Wakey. I, I I can't remember. We have so many great guests on, so many of the top NBA folks around the league. I do not remember who it was. But when we were discussing Shaq and I brought up Yao Ming, like you and I have had the privilege for for over 20 years, well, you for 25 years, covering the games, 25-plus years, covering the games and being down from day one with the Raptors. And I'm, you know, second season coming in following this team. And I can only count on one hand the number of times I've done a double take because you just get accustomed or, or conditioned to being around tall players, big players, physical specimens, whatever. But I don't even do a double take with Yao Ming. Seven foot six, two hundred and ninety pounds, his calves bigger than my thighs. The man is is a monster. He's huge. But I don't even do a double take. He walks by me, like, okay, yeah, yumming. Shaq, what are we saying officially? Seven one, three fifty minimum. Like he walks by when he was a player, let alone today still as a broadcaster, and my jaw still drops. I look at him like my God, he's massive. He is unbelievably impressive to just look at and to think what he did on the court at that size crazy crazy to think that he could play at the level he did with the athleticism he had at that size yeah um <laughs> you're right I, I i i i've done double takes and since kind of gotten to know Shaq, and i remember the first time uh doing an interview when I was working a game between Vancouver and the Lakers and the Lakers won and Shaq was the post-game interview and uh, he tried to deke me he tried to big time me like walk past and not do the interview and the producer was in my ear you got Shaq and he's I'm, I'm holding up the mic in my right hand and pointing with my left index finger to the mic and then my chest in his test like I got you for this interview and he's like shaking his head back and forth and LAPR, John Black, went and spoke to him. And he kind of reluctantly came over. And I looked and I said, hey, man, I know you don't want to do this, but I'm trying to just do my job and put food on the table. And he looked and I, like, that got to him. He, he says, I can respect that, brother. I can respect that. So we did the interview. And partway through the game, I actually had a report on one of the LA championship rings. And it actually said bling in it. It was the first ring. It said bling in it. And... And uh, and we did the interview, and you know this, E, as a courtside person, one of the great things is to humanize it, you know, try to make the guy laugh or, you know, make him laugh, make him cry, like get get to the human side. And I said, you, I, help, I heard you'd help design the ring. If you win another one this year, you know, what's it going to say? And, and he said, uh, bling, bling. And he gave that shack, head tilt, the smile, and laughed and walked off. And That's uh, good. 
And when he walked towards me, I'm like, what if this guy decides he's not doing the interview? Like, what, what do I have to do? You know what? He is massive. I'm going to stand right in front of him. Like, if he runs me over, I'm going to hit the ground. Take the charge. <laughs> I'm going to take the charge. I'm going to take the charge. And he, luckily, he stopped. But um, he is one massive human being. You're right. He's still the only one, like, that I do the double take for. And I, I've been around basketball since I was 10 years old. I've, I've been around big, tall people my whole life. But Shaq is something else. He, he just He just is. Uh, it, it is it is unbelievable and like I said such a showman such a Pied Piper and and to this day I don't know how old he is but he's still a big kid at heart all right I, I've got I've got one other one for you I mean listen we could probably go give you a laundry list of of you know mm. people that are impressive players that are impressive but again the the the, the counting on one hand the amount of double takes I can remember walking into the San Antonio Spurs locker room and seeing David Robinson yeah. for the first time. And it wasn't necessarily the size. Obviously, you know, tall, big, impressive. Jonesy, I have never – to this day even, I'm wondering. I'm trying to go through the Rolodex in my mind. I'm not sure if I've seen somebody as chiseled. Like, no. just nobody, cut. Nobody like just has every, triceps. Everything defined. The triceps, the biceps, the lats, the – he had he had muscles in his back that I didn't know existed. Like he was, I think he had his shorts on and he was taking a sip of Gatorade or something about to throw his jersey on or his warm up shirt or something to go up before. And I I'm looking, I'm like, my like I have never seen that. It looked like a it looked like a toy figure, like like something you'd cut out of plastic or something. I could not get over. I'm like man, like I know I have no muscles, but this dude, like it was unreal. And again, the back was what what really stood out. Like everything was just just cut, cut. And that's a guy that doesn't get talked about near as much as he should. During his heyday, certainly. During his career, yes. But since we talk about the all-time greats, to me he's a guy, and I'm guilty of it too, he's a guy that, that doesn't get discussed among the great centers, the great big men, as much as he should. Agree. And, you know, for all the flack that people talked about with the National Anthem, and you know, and, you know, with guys not, in some people's eyes, respecting the anthem. As a guy from the U.S. Naval Academy, whenever the Raptors played the San Antonio Spurs, and Doug Smith and I, Doug Smith said this because I noticed it, but Doug actually wrote it. There was nothing like David Robinson standing for not one, but two national anthems at full military attention. Right. Like. Like you could have, you could have hit tennis balls off his back, and they would have come back to you. Like it just—it was unbelievable to see him stand there. Like all, all that was missing was the the naval uniform and the hat and a salute. Like it was—it was un unbelievable. It was un, in, incredible. So yeah, no, I give you that one. David Robinson's another one too. That uh, that uh, you know. Made you made you do a double take when you look at people in this game. So no doubt, no doubt definitely. about it. Agree with um, that. 
Again, it's All-Star Weekend, folks. It's upon us. We will discuss that over the course of the show today. Uh, nothing to discuss from a Raptors perspective or anything else, really, uh, around the league, given the fact that there are no games tonight. But uh, last night in the association, uh, a couple of games, I suppose, to note. Certainly a big one for Philadelphia with the victory over the Milwaukee Bucks. And... Uh, Washington gets the victory over the net, so after a couple of wins in a row for Brooklyn, uh, they're back in the lost home, which certainly helps the Raptors, give them a little bit more breathing room with that 7-8 battle right now as the Raptors certainly are trying to eye sixth and leapfrogging the Celtics once we get back from the break. One thing I wanted to mention too, oh, Miami beating Charlotte uh, 111-107, uh, that game going into overtime, but I wanted to discuss for a moment, Jonesy, the Dallas Mavericks. We touched on them briefly yesterday, but 125-118, they beat the Pelicans, and Listen, I, I, I don't, I don't want to rope you in with me if you don't want to be there, but I'd say I slash we have been, uh, is critical the right word, or just questioning at times. Um, you know, Luca didn't seem like he came into the season fully in shape. Uh, I know that you often talk about, and you're right, that he often is not dialed in on both ends of the floor, but it's starting to get a little bit harder to be critical, I suppose, or to not really appreciate what he's doing, what the team is doing, 11 games above 500, sitting in that fifth seed. They've won two in a row. They made that deal on deadline day, getting rid of Porzingis. And, uh, man, I, I'm keeping an eye on them more and more, Jonesy, because, like, to me, they're hey. still maybe another piece away, maybe. Like, I'm not sure which piece, but something. But Luca had 49, 15, and 8 last night. Points, rebounds, assists. 49. Like, he was tearing up the Pelicans. And and you know who gets, you know who gets some of the credit there, Jason Kidd. Um, mm-hmm. He has coached superstars before. He had Pearson Garnett in in uh, Brooklyn. He had Giannis in Milwaukee. He was an assistant with LeBron and Anthony Davis in Dallas or in uh, in uh, L.A. before he went to Dallas. People say. Coaching doesn't matter, uh, and there's the old adage, you know, a, a coach can't necessarily lose, uh, 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 win you a game, but he can lose you a game. And I got to tell you, Jason Kidd has them playing. He really does. And he's a guy that understands coaching and working with superstars. I mean, he when he came into the league, he was part of a superstar young triumvirate with the the three J's, right? J- Jason Kidd, Jamal Mashburn, and Jimmy Jackson in, in, in Dallas. And so he's he's been through that, and he's seen it. And he understands how to handle star talent. And that's something for a coach. I mean, people kill Phil Jackson all the time. Oh, yeah, I could have won with Shaq and Kobe. Or, yeah, I could have won with Michael. Well, to an extent, some of that stuff, there was dysfunctionality that Phil was able to handle or navigate with, you know, Shaq and Kobe both wanting to be the man and kind of a little bit of infighting with everybody pointing at the stat sheet in Chicago about how many shots Michael took and, and all, like, and Phil handled it. And I'm telling you right now, I'm giving Jason Kidd, nobody's mentioning him for coach of the year, but I'm giving Jason Kidd some credit around what he is doing with Porzingis or, or with uh, Doncic and the Mavericks and Eric take a look at the defense too. I know we get on Luca for for playing on a tilted floor, 
But Jason Kidd has this Mavericks team playing some defense as well, and they are a they are a uh, a low key dark horse threat in the West with everybody talking about Phoenix and Golden State and how well Memphis is playing and you know Utah shooting the three. Don't don't throw Dallas out of the equation just yet. I'm not I, I'm not throwing them out, Jonesy. I'm not. I'm, I, so I'm bringing them up. I'm I'm keeping it a close, close eye on them based on everything I've been seeing of late. And again, how about C.J. McCollum? 38 points in a loss last night, uh, outdone, but again by Luca going for 49 in the victory. Uh, beyond impressive, uh, what he was able to do last night in in that game. Um, one other thing I just wanted to quickly mention and bring up. I, I honestly did not know about this Jonesy until this morning. And um, I don't know, maybe some other people have heard about it or, or were, um, were up on it. You see the new movie that's coming out? or the, I, I don't know the, the release date. I should have looked it up ahead of time. I think it might be now. If it's not, it's very soon. Because I think they were trying to tie it into All-Star Weekend. And I've, I've seen some players wearing like hoodies around the league and whatnot. And, and now I'm starting to kind of put the two and two together. Adam Sandler's got a new movie coming out on Netflix called Hustle. Have you heard about this? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I heard have. of the title and I've seen little little bits and pieces, yeah, but I didn't I didn't know when it comes out or what you know me in movies, E. I'll just I'll just wait till we can watch it on the plane or something or or you know, uh, one of my kids says, Hey dad, you gotta watch this. So yeah, I, I I've seen uh I've se- I, I know of it, let's put it that way. Well, I, I honestly didn't know anything about it until I started seeing the pictures of the uh uh, of the players wearing various hoodies over the last couple of days. But, uh, you know, the, the synopsis says, washed-up basketball scout discovers a phenomenal streetball player while in Spain and sees the prospect as his opportunity to get back into the NBA. And the star player from Spain, as played in the movie, is Juan Hernan Gomez. So Hernan Gomez is, like, the, the, the top dude in the movie, uh, and there's a whole ton of cameos throughout the, the movie. Like Kyle Lowry's in it and Jimmy Butler and a bunch of dudes. A bunch of dudes if you watch the trailer. Um, but, I mean, listen, I have no idea, no idea uh, how good the movie's going to be. But I'm, I'm intrigued by just watching. And, listen, obviously, as a, as a basketball guy, clearly I'm going to go watch it. Adam Sandler, Robert Duvall's in this as well. Like, there's, there's some good, good actors in it. But it looks like it. And to be clear, too, folks, it's not like, and I love them, I and, I, I love a goofy, stupid comedy. It's not a goofy, stupid Adam Sandler comedy. It looks like it's more of a, like a, a basketball, legit basketball movie, a drama. Which, by the way, leads me to something else I was going to mention. First of all, Adam Sandler, if this movie's any even half as good as Hidden Gems, which might have been a completely different kind of movie, but that was outstanding. And, of course, Kevin Garnett was great in oh, that. Oh, was that but the one? Was, with, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that one. I really like that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm impressed and and finally and pleased pleased that you saw that one, Jonesy. I mean, you can't let that one go. As a basketball guy, you had to see that one. No, but um, yeah, our was. guy Rex Chapman sent out the tweet. Now it's not like it's a 25th anniversary or 30 year anniversary, but it's All Star Weekend, so why not mention it? He sent out the tweet 28 years ago today. Talk about making me feel old. 28 years ago today, Blue Chips premiered in theaters. Oh, wow. Now that was a movie. E. Um, that was a movie that same thing. It was a bit like you know it had Nick Nolte was I think he was a de facto Bobby Knight in that movie. Um, 
and and the stars like the the you know Shaq was what was his name neon 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 blue or neon bright or whatever he was um playing in some backwoods places in the south and they had all all the all the great college players great players of their time and 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 coaches were in the movie too and rumor has it that playing doing the movie blue chips that's when Shaq went to management when they had the number 1 pick in the draft and they had Chris Webber he said I don't need Chris Webber but you give me Penny Hardaway and we'll be doing something that that was that was that's the folklore that's the tale out there that Shaq went to Orlando management and said I know we got the number 1 pick but you know this high pick we we don't need Chris Webber Chris would have been the we don't need Chris you know we'll, we'll give me Penny Hardaway and Hmm. We'll make it to the finals. Shaq already playing the uh, assistant GM slash president at a young age, and he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. Penny no. uh, again. I mean, this conversation is bad a million times over the years, but he's if he's not at the top of the list, he's in the top three for all time. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Had it not been derailed by by injuries, that I mean, he was an incredible player. Uh, in his brief, unfortunate brief moment in time, Grant Hill's another guy you throw on that list. Clearly, uh, you know Brandon Roy. Um, there's there's a lot of dudes. By the way, I don't remember the last name Jonesy, but Shaq's name 100% was Neon. I don't remember the last name though, but the first name was Neon. And quickly to go back to hustle, I was wrong about it coming out now. I thought they were trying to tie it into All Star Weekend. Maybe they're just trying to use All Star Weekend to hype it. It's not going to be released until June, so we have to wait until uh, June. Maybe a little. Uh, NBA Finals teaser because I think it's coming out. Uh, what did what did Boffo say here? Oh, Lance actually apologized. June 10th uh, on Netflix, Hustle is due to come out. So check that out, folks. Uh, find the trailer or whatever on YouTube or otherwise. But uh, you know that's hey, that's another great question. Throw it. We're we're taking our 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 fan mail. We're taking you know questions on Twitter or especially on the text line too. We seem to get more from the text line at five ninety five ninety. So if you want to hit us up. Uh, honestly, anything you want to look at the first half, or again, should I say, the first two thirds of the Raptor season? Something on your mind? We'll try to get to it today. We'll try to get to as many questions as we can later on in the show. So again, if you want to hit us up, you can go at five ninety five ninety on the text line, or message both Paul and I, or one of us, on Twitter. Paul double underscore Jones, Eric double underscore Smith. Raptors, NBA, basketball movies, snowstorms. Truck, truck, no, no, forget, leave the truckers alone. Whatever you want to discuss, whatever you want to discuss, we'll get into it. We'll try to get to as many of your questions, Twitter or text line, as we can throughout the show today. And before we go to break, Lanzo had the uh, info. Yep, go ahead, Jonesy. Neon Badeau. I just Googled it. Neon Badeau. Not that was Bordeaux. Shaq's name. Making me thirsty with a Bordeaux, but Neon Badeau. Mm. Badeau. Yeah, and, and the people in the movie, um, uh, Penny Hardaway, Marcus Johnson, uh, Lou Gossett Jr., uh, playing themselves, Bob Knight, Jerry Tarkanian, Jim Beheim, Kevin Garnett, Alan Houston, Dick Vitale, Rick Pitino, George Lynch, Calvert Chaney, Bobby Hurley, like all these guys are in this movie. And... Uh, I mean, there were Larry Bird <clears throat> as himself. Uh, it was it, at the time. It was 
it was a if you especially if you're a hoop head, it was a must see, had to see movie. Might be in my top five all time basketball movies. Well, it's funny. Might Nick Nolte's character, five. Nick Nolte's character, clearly based on Bobby Knight. Then Bobby Knight's in the movie, and I think it was Chapman that sent out yesterday as well. Might have been somebody else, but. It, I, I'm sure if you're a basketball fan, you've seen this clip. Um, I don't know if I retweeted it yesterday or if I just liked it. But the clip was making its rounds again of, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the interview with Bobby Knight. I don't even remember who it was for. If it was like for one of the major networks or if it was a local Indiana thing or, or what. But he's he's sitting down and he's talking about, you know, like we didn't play well tonight and, you know, this guy wasn't that good and so-and-so wasn't better and we got to be better on the defensive end. And then he just like – and he was – you could tell he was fired up, but he was, you know – he was keeping it, you know, on the rails. And then about 20 seconds in, he just goes, and we just stuck. And he starts screaming. And it, we effing, and he just starts F-bombing and cursing, rips the microphone off. Enough of this, blah, 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 blah. And he takes the thing off. Like, clearly, it wasn't live. And somebody leaked this tape out over the years. But I don't know if yeah. you've seen it, Jones. I, I am going to maybe retweet it now, now that we've talked about it. But, like, it, you know, not safe for work, not safe for the kids. But he just has a full-on meltdown about 20 seconds in and just starts tearing the, the interviewer and the whole process just to shreds. <laughs> let, me, let me give you my Bob Knight story, uh, my uh, first interaction with him. Uh, 1984, he comes to the University of Toronto and he was doing a one-man, two-day clinic. And they, people that were running the clinic said he needs some people to demonstrate. And so they asked me, they asked a bunch of people, and it turns out that I was the only university player there. And the other five or six kids there with me were high school kids. And I'm, I'm in the midst of, you know, the master's degree and I'm not only going to the clinic and ready to pay my money, they said, no, you don't have to. So I'm sitting there on the baseline in my uniform as one of his demonstrators. And the other kids are kind of, you know, <clears throat> fiddling and, and, you know, and I, but I have my paper and pen out like everybody else in the stands. And there's maybe two, 300 coaches and I'm taking notes and he needs somebody for a drill. And he goes, he goes, hey, you, let's go, come on out here, in the red, because I went to York and I was wearing red. And he goes, I don't know who brought these kids in, but get rid, and I think they were from, I forget what school they were from, but their colors were blue and gold. And he said, get rid of those shirts, because they remind me of Michigan. Somebody get these kids some new shirts. <laughs> he goes, you in the red? <laughs> I guess York, we're close to India. He goes, you in the red, let's go. So I get out there, and... He's got me doing this drill, and I was a conference all-star at the time. I was pretty skilled, I would say. I was accomplished, and I started doing this drill with two basketballs and ball handling, and I'm doing okay, and he's going faster, 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 and I, I started going, and then boom, the two balls hit, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is Bob Knight, and I sprint to one end of the gym and pick up one, and I sprint to the other end and pick up the other, and there's coaches laughing because a lot of these coaches know me and, and the whole. And he says, hang on a second. He says, what's your name? I said, Paul Jones, coach. He looks and he says, he walks over to the stands. He goes, I don't know this kid, Paul Jones, from nothing. But I know he's out here and he's working his blank off for me. And I see you coaches up there laughing. If any of you, uh, any of you fat blank coaches, fat 
fat butt coaches think you can get out here and do better, then I'm ready for you to come out here. And he walks back to me, he goes, you're doing a good job. Just keep going. And I'm like, okay, okay. And, and I got to tell you, at the end of the clinic, he came up to me and said, anytime you ever want to come to Bloomington or do anything involved in coaching and you think I can help, you call me. I was blown away. But I'm telling you, my heart was coming through my chest when I was doing that drill for him. I, I, I got I to tell you, it was, it was something else. It was a very good clinic, really informative, good two days. Never took him up on that opportunity, but um, I can see in a, in, a, in a brief glimpse why kids and people that play for him sometimes feel that loyalty to him because he supports them. All right, when we come back, uh, we will continue on the basketball theme as we are joined by Stu Jackson and lots to dive into with Stu next on Smith & Jones. Everything you need to know about all things Raptors. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review as well. Joining us on the line right now, former NBA League executive, general manager, I mean, broadcaster, he's done it all. He's joined us many times. We always love chatting with Stu Jackson. Stu, thanks for the time today. Oh, thanks for having me back, Eric. Appreciate it. How you doing, Paul? Hey. All good, Stu. All good, man. Stu, I, I wanted to start with the Dallas Mavericks. Jonesy and I were chatting about them about uh, 15, 20 minutes ago. And uh, just to kind of quickly repeat at the risk of uh, boring the audience, we, we've been not critical, but, but, but we have been keeping an eye on Dallas in terms of, you know, Luka, sometimes the floor being slanted one way, uh, maybe not always being in top shape when the season starts. But then all of a sudden, here we are two-thirds of the way through the season, uh, not only is he in shape, he's tearing people up. And to Jonesy's point that he made about 15, 20 minutes ago, Jason Kidd has him, but also the team playing more defense than they have in recent memory. And they're starting to look more and more legit with every game, every week that passes. Yeah, no, you, you bring up a great point. I mean, listen, anytime you have a team with one of, uh, you know, the top five players uh, in the NBA, every night you step out there, and you have a chance from an offensive standpoint, certainly. But, uh, you know, case in point, you know, this has been a little bit of a hallmark of Jason Kidd and a focus of his even back at Milwaukee is to improve them at the defensive end, and, and he has done that. Um, you know, they, their roster, um, you know, I like a lot, uh, aside from Luka Doncic. Uh, I think that uh, Tim Hardaway is having a very good year. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, you know, a part of them, it looks like now and in the future, is having an excellent year. And i got to give a shout-out to my Villanova uh, brother, Jalen Brunson, who's having his best season ever. So, uh, you know, excellent team and somebody that's dangerous here uh, down the stretch post-All-Star break. Stu, uh, you talk about post-All-Star break, and everybody thinks it's, you know, all the halfway point. It's actually is. Eric has pointed out on our show here, it's actually closer to two-thirds of the way because you got about 25, 26 games left. And this is when teams, uh, you know, kind of start to, you know, make a final push and, and crank it up. Um, from a coaching standpoint or executive standpoint, 
If you're in, you know, if you're, uh, let's take the Raptors. You know, you're in that six, seven. You're you're fighting to stay out of the pit, the the, the playing tournament. Um, what do, what do strategies do as you look to solidify a spot, but yet hope for a long run once the end of the season comes? Well, I don't know if you can, you know, having a strategy sort of implies a long-term look. And I think at this point in the season, uh, you know, basically with, you know, uh, not very much of it left. I mean, teams are now in a position where, you know, they are um, uh, only have, you know, 20 to 25 games left. I think you have to take it one game at a time, Paul. Uh, and, and try to, as best you can, possession by possession, game by game, put together uh, some sort of streak of consistency so that you're playing well going into the playoffs. I think, you know, when you focus a team on things that, uh, A, you can't control, and, B, you look too far out ahead, I think you enter dangerous territory and jeopardize yourself from focusing in on the moment, which is what it's going to take here in the short run with only 20 and 25 games left. Okay. Um, Stu, we, we always get into these arguments. I want to kind of change directions here. Um, and, and you're a guy that you know, respect, understand the history of the game, history of the rules in different eras. Hey, you were, you were entrusted to uh, enforce and, and upkeep and uphold some of those rules. Tracy McGrady... Um, who played in a different era, said that he thought Giannis would have struggled back in that era because he was not a great shooter. Stu, we have this argument all the time, whether it's Michael LeBron or, you know, oh, could a guy like, a, uh, I don't know, a Charles Oakley have played in this era because it was up and down and maybe he couldn't, people don't think he could do that. Or, you know, here's Tracy saying he thought Giannis would have struggled. It's so hard to compare across eras, but um, what, do you, what do you think would prompt the Tracy to make that statement about a Giannis? Because I, a guy with that physical size, maybe he would struggle to shoot, but in that era, wouldn't he play down low, Stu? Well, I, I think you bring up a good point. And, you know, I, I saw that comment, and it's interesting to me, Paul, that we're probably in an era right now of the greatest shooters ever in the game. And Giannis still is flourishing. Uh, but case in point, I mean, had he played in another area, era, uh, you know, Giannis is so gifted in so many areas of the game. Uh, defensively, uh, certainly his ability at his size to handle the basketball and put it on the deck and drive people uh, to get downhill. Uh, if you just take the fact that he defends rebounds and can get downhill – he would still be a dominant player even without yeah. being a great perimeter shooter. But now what you're seeing slowly uh, but surely, he's starting to make some shots. Now, listen, if you're scouting him, and I put my coaching hat on, uh, you know, and you're in a playoff game, you, you're probably going to live with him taking perimeter shots as much as you can and try to cut off, you know, his driving lanes. But the guy is so physically gifted and dominant that I think he's probably a great player in any era. Speaking with, That's my Stu, view. Yeah, speaking with Stu Jackson, 
Stu, I, 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 I don't know if it's on topic or, or switching topics again here. It's kind of kind of fun to do this at the midway, two-thirds point anyways, more, more general, generic type stuff. One of the other discussions we briefly had, and it's been talked about ad nauseum over the years, but it just seemed to kind of pop up again for Jonesy and I today over the first uh, little bit of the show. Um, T-Mac's one of those guys where I don't know that it was necessarily derailed by injuries, but he, he had some injury bugs to deal with, and and uh, and he's one of those guys that also goes into the category of, of you know, players that as great as they were, did they achieve the heights that, that others did, and are they going to be judged by championships and everybody else? Stu, who's the guy that stands out for you? You know, we were throwing out, obviously, Penny Hardaway and Grant Hill. Those names have been mentioned so much over the years. Brandon Roy. Somebody that... that that had that career cut short because of injuries or somebody that that maybe doesn't get the love or the appreciation to the extent that they probably should, even if they weren't derailed by by injuries, somebody that just maybe has been um, wrongfully forgotten about by the average Joe fan when we look back at, at, I don't know, I was going to say recent memory, but heck, you know, respectfully, your memory goes back even further too. Is there is there a player or two that stands out for you that would fall into that category or, or categories I'm speaking of? Yeah, actually, and you named one of them. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I look at a guy like Penny Hardaway. Uh, you know, combined probably with Grant Hill um, mm. as two players that I thought just were, you know, had superior talent and ability, uh, high basketball IQ, the ability to play all facets of the game and score at all three levels. That you know, had they not been injured you know, probably would go down as, you know, uh, some of the greatest players that have ever played. Um, uh, you know, but those are the two in my mind that I look at and say, you know, what could have been. Stu, and, you know, could have been, and, and I'm still kind of stuck on this guys in different eras. I look at, you, you talk about, you just said that we, we are probably in the era of some of the greatest shooters. What would, and, and I, you know, there's a bunch of guys that come to mind here, and you can probably give, give, give me uh, some more. What would it look like in this era for um, a Craig Hodges, um, a Dale Ellis, um, a Bob McAdoo? Like, you know, you talk about different eras and the way the game's played and the way it's evolved. You know, everybody likes to say, well, oh, so-and-so couldn't play back in this era. But what about the guys that could play from bygone eras in today's game, the way it's changed, and how much they would flourish? There's got to be a, a bunch of guys that, that jump into your mind in that regard, Stu. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the, the shooting part of it, you know, the league has become such a three-point shooting-based offensive league uh, each and every night, it seems to be a three-point shooting contest. But many of the guys that you mentioned, and don't forget a guy like you know Larry Bird or even a guy mm. like Del Curry. I think that you know a guy like Del Curry might have been more prominent a player just because of the volume of threes he would have taken and made. The same with Del, Dale Ellis, you mentioned Craig Hodges. My goodness, uh, I think one of the you know greatest shooters ever to play the game. But they would have had more volume. You know, their, you know, their statistical output would have been greater, um, you know, had they, you know, made, you know, played in today's game. Because essentially you have a game today where players are specialists, whether it's, you know, a 
a, a defensive player and a three-point shooter. Everybody's looking for that so-called three-and-D type of person. And many of those guys fit in that category. Um, so uh, I, I think they would have fared pretty well, but the volume of their offense would have obviously increased. Speaking with Stu Jackson. Stu, let me bring it back to current day here. Um, when the dust settles after this weekend and we look to the final 25-odd games for most teams in the league, it looks like it's going to be a dogfight in both conferences. Phoenix isn't slowing down. Golden State's been milling around the whole time. Memphis having an incredible season. Uh, as much as it's been a struggle for the Lakers, you always have the X factor of LeBron. And if they you know, advance through the play-in, assuming they're still in the play-in and don't get into the top six, out in the East, I mean, you look at only five games separating one through seven in the Eastern Conference. How do you see this unfolding? Is there a team or two you're keeping your eye on more than any right now, Stu? Yeah, I, I mean, let's start at the top. I mean, for me, uh, fellas, the best team in the league right now to me is the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I mean, you know, you look at the fact that I look at two things. I mean, they, they have the highest net rating of any team in the league right now. And to add to that, the highest point differential in terms of, you know, how they perform throughout the season. And if you look at teams that, in the league are both in the top 10 of offensive rating and defensive rating. You know, it would be the Suns, uh, the Miami Heat, and, uh, and uh, Golden State. So, I mean, I look at those sort of metrics as a telltale sign that those are teams that are in it for the long haul. I, I think, you know, if you were to look at, though, a team that could surprise everyone, um, you know, when you get down the stretch here, I, I have to look at, you know, a team like uh, the Miami Heat, just because they have the ability to focus in defensively and lock you down at certain times of the game. They've got a very deep and balanced roster. Uh, so they could be a little bit of a surprise as we head into the playoffs uh, in my mind. And you, you mentioned it also. It's been fun to watch the Memphis Grizzlies just seemingly come out of nowhere and uh, play the way that they have, given that they have one of the league's best stars in John Morant. Uh, Stu, last one for me before we go. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you about the Raptors and what you've seen from them lately. And uh, as a team that, you know, the over-under in Vegas was like 36-and-a-half. A lot of people saw them, like, not even in the playoff tournament, play-in tournament, one of the – you know, one of the uh, five teams that wasn't getting anything this year, and right now they're in the mix. What What do you think the prospects for uh, Toronto might be going forward? Well, I, first of all, you know, congratulations to, to Van Fleet for making the All-Star team. That's just an honor uh, for him that's much deserved for a player that's come as far as, as he has. But listen, I, I mean, you know, the Raptors are, you know, a team uh, – you know, they don't surprise me anymore. You know, when people count them out, um, I just have such great respect for, you know, their front office because, you know, uh, you, you look at them, they have a clue in terms of what they're doing and structuring a team that's going to ultimately be productive. But, you know, they're young. Uh, they still have, uh, you know, good talent. Um, they still continue to draft well. Uh, Scotty Barnes, uh, you know, case in point. And I think their future is bright. Are they a championship round level team 
this year? No. But it's obvious to me that there's a strategy in place that, you know, they're building for a future. And, you know, the Raptors will be, you know, back to being one of those elite teams, in my mind, over the next couple seasons. I, I have no doubt. And there's no reason to doubt them. Stu, thanks as always for the time today, and we'll look forward to chatting with you at some point uh, as the season starts winding down here over these last six to eight weeks. All the best. No, thanks thanks a lot, guys. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Stu. Great to chat always, man. There is Stu Jackson, uh, former coach, GM, league executive. I mean, the man's done it all. Broadcaster as well. Always love having Stu on the show. Make sure you subscribe, folks, to Smith & Jones. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and review as well. And if you want to be part of the show, again, before things end today, we're going to try and take as many questions uh, as we can fit in via the text line, 590-590, or on Twitter, Eric, double underscore Smith, Paul, double underscore Jones. So send those questions in, whatever they may be, and we'll try and get to them before the end of the show, make you a part of the show. Back with more in a moment. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sport. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Ailish. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. And uh, as I mentioned, going to uh, break a little bit earlier, I'll say it again right now. You want to be part of Smith & Jones. We're taking your questions today. So if you want to get in on the action, NBA, Raptors, basketball, movies we've discussed today, anything else on your mind, you can hit us up. Paul, double underscore Jones. Eric, double underscore Smith. Or on the text line at 590-590. Lots of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, and we'll get to some of your questions a little bit later on in the show. In a few minutes' time, Michael Grange, our colleague from Sportsnet, will join us as NBA All-Star Weekend is upon us, Jonesy. And are, is, is there somebody you're keeping an eye on this weekend, whether it be Raptors-specific or, or anybody else, when you look ahead to either rising stars tonight? With due respect, I think most people kind of glaze over the rising stars sometimes, whether that's, you know... Uh, um, whether that's right, wrong, or otherwise, I, I feel like a lot of people kind of forget about Friday and focus more clearly on Saturday night, the dunk contest, the three-point shootout, and then, of course, Sunday's game as well. But what's what's piquing your interest, if any? Uh, I'm always a big fan of uh, the three-point contest, the shooting. Uh, to me, it's, it's, uh, it's more of a highlight. It's better than the dunk contest. It is uh, because th- there's there's – always the subjectivity in a dunk i might like something you might not that's incredible that's so hard to do well so is that that's really hard to do too like the dunks are uh i mean they're spectacular they're athletic it it takes talent creativity but it's it's kind of like i always say with you know we're coming off the olympics now when it's a judging sport the subjectivity even though there are criteria that it's based on there's a subjective element that, to me, is a little bit too strong or can be a little bit too uh, overbearing and overruling. To me, the, the three-point shooting contest, hey, man, we talked to Capono yesterday. You take the ball off the rack, the number of ones that go through the hole, you count that, and that's it. Like, like I, I would love to see more people or, or like I said, more uh, – of the three-point contest and, and 
and have that expanded in, in a way. So that's that's the thing that always piques my interest. And I like the new all-star format, the one that they went to in Chicago in 2020, where each quarter is a separate game because you're playing for a charity. And and then there's an Elam ending. It, it makes it competitive. It really does. And I Because it had turned into a joke before that. But I like what they have now. I'm looking forward to the game again. And uh, the Saturday night, the uh, the skills contest isn't bad. That's not bad. It's a little bit, it's pretty objective with, you know, having to make shots, dribble, make passes, accuracy, a time component. I like that too. I like that one too. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm a little, I'm a little lukewarm on that one. And here's, here's the reason why too. And this is, I don't know. Listen, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I don't know, Jonesy. What's the what's the way to say it? I'm not going to die on the hill here for this. At the end of the day, do I do I care? Am I going to lose a second of sleep over it? Absolutely not. But I think that the one event where guys truly take it more seriously than anything else is the three point shootout. And maybe yeah. just because of the format, just the, the the way it's set up, you can't really screw around a whole lot unless you're taking goofy shots. There's really nothing to do to sort of mess with, right? But in a dunk contest, if you know if you've missed a few dunks, and then you're you know it, it kind of turns into a bit of a joke where you're you're left out there to do like multiple attempts or whatnot, or guys just trying to do too many things that are completely off the rails, uh, and it just doesn't seem to work. So it can go sideways quick. You know, hey, when it works, it works. Think back again to Toronto and how incredible that All Star Weekend was, and that dunk contest was with uh, with Zach Levine uh, and Aaron Gordon specifically. Um, but the skills contest, like, are the guys actually running at top speed? Are they actually trying to make those passes, like, you know, precisely? Are they, t- you know, that's where, to me, it's kind of more fun, right? So if yeah. they're taking it yeah. seriously and they're actually, they're, they're actually playing like they're, they're playing for something, then it's fun. But if it's kind of they're goofing around a little bit, then, eh, you know, I'm not as into it. Different format this year, too, which is kind of cool, I suppose, uh, the way they've got the setup for that event. But um, let's, let's maybe put that one aside uh, and, well, I guess I should say uh, the, the the format, right? You've got the Cleveland team, and then you've got the team Giannis, and then you've got uh, the rookie team, which Scotty Barnes is a part of as well. But it's going to be cool to see uh, <clears throat> Toronto, the Raptors, and Raptors 905 uh, both represented in two separate ways in that contest uh, with the brothers Antetokounmpo, again, uh, taking part in that one, and then with Scotty Barnes on that rookie team as the two of those squads compete against the all-Cleveland team. So uh, that's okay, I guess, and let's see if we have a little bit of fun. But let's jump back maybe to the the uh, the, the three-point shooter for a second. Uh, we can kind of leave the dunk contest aside. Jalen Green, Obi Toppin, Cole Anthony and Juan Toscano Anderson. I am really interested, especially in Green and Toppin. But the three-point shootout, Jonesy, I don't know who to go with because we're talking about some fantastic shooters. But at the risk of sounding like the homer, and this has got nothing to do with homer because I've got no vested interest in this. It's not like I'm getting anything out of this from Fred Van Vliet. He might be my guy. I'm looking at Van Vliet and Patty Mills. And maybe I'm underselling Luke Kennard here, but I'm looking at Van Vliet and Patty Mills as my two top dogs right now when I look at the three-point shootout. Mm, Maybe I should give the full list. Maybe I should give the full list for the audience. Desmond Bain, Luke Kennard, Zach Levine, C.J. McCollum, Patty Mills, Carl Anthony Towns, Fred Van Vliet, Trey Young. 
You got a gut feel? There's a lot of good shooters on that list. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I think about I think about guys that that you know shoot the, as we call it the tippy toe jumper. They they are open. They're not raising up and then letting it go. And Fred falls into that category. Uh, Luke Kennard has been shooting the ball really well. Um, see, I don't. I you know I know you like you just said Patty Mills. I see him as more of a jump shooter. Okay. Uh, and I wonder about his, you know, as Jason Capono said, and people who are shooters, that, that was what alerted me to it, talking about guys getting up in the air and releasing. Um, uh, Fred, Luke Kennard, I, I tell you what, uh, C.J. McCollum is a guy that can, he can do both. He can get up in the air and shoot it, but he likes that little standstill, you know, uh, credit card jumper just slide the credit card that's about as high <laughs> off the ground as he gets you know um so he's he's another guy so i i'm just looking forward to because i think i think it's it's the great thing like you said there's no messing around with it and and e to your point about uh vince in his dunk contest and the dunk contest in toronto in 2016 and when they were won by guys like kobe and Michael, there weren't 15 attempts. Right. Like, the surprise on the first attempt, like, whoa, there it is. It's not like he misses, like, oh, okay, let's see if now it's, now the surprise element is gone. You know what's coming, and you're like, okay, well, let's see if he can pull it off. And it loses some of its juice, right? Like, Nate Robinson, I I, I love the fact that he was, you know, five foot seven or whatever, but 64 tries to try and dunk over a guy <laughs> like, like that's that's not doing it for me um and that's why i like the three-point contest i'm i'm looking forward to that i really am yeah and again uh, fred van vliet with a chance to uh, bring home the honors for toronto uh much like our guest yesterday jason capono did so again if folks if you uh, if you miss an episode make sure you hit up the uh, the pod whether it be on on Spotify or, or iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, uh, make sure you hit up Smith and Jones because I'll tell you, I, I enjoyed that conversation immensely yesterday with, with not only uh, Lionel Hollins but Jason Capono as well because I love the, the humor uh, that Capono brought in, in yesterday's chat and certainly that he brought when he was a player as well and the personality. And that's, that's kind of, to me, something that stands about, out about All-Star Weekend too is getting a chance to see some guys outside of their 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 regular teams, their regular markets, the the regular, you know, um, seriousness or intensity of the regular season, let alone postseason. It's a fun weekend, and it's supposed to be fun. And, and let these yeah. guys have their moment in the in the spotlight to kind of step outside their personalities a little bit or show their personalities a little bit and, and, and to kind of put on that, that showmanship, that flair, that Hollywood. Like, I kind of like that, and I like – I like seeing the dude sitting courtside, especially during the dunk contest and the three-point shootout on Saturday night where a lot of the guys come to support teammates and just be fans of the game, And which leads me to one quick little thing before we bring Grange in, and Michael maybe wants to weigh in on this too. Did you happen to see last night? And I'm still trying to decide. I'm honestly, like, I'm, I'm legit fully sitting on the fence here in terms of where my gut goes with this. Did you see Patrick Beverly in Los Angeles courtside Wearing a Clippers jersey, he's wearing a Zubats jersey and cheering on the Clips last night. Did you see that? I saw that. I saw that. What'd you think? Uh, like, like if I, 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 like I'm, I'm fully sitting on the fence because part of me goes, "Hey, that's cool." 
He's supporting his friends, his former teammates. Just because he was traded doesn't mean he doesn't like these guys now. And 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 but like you could be at the game and supporting them, cheering them on without putting on the jersey of your former team when you are currently employed by and just signed a contract extension with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Like if I was ownership, I don't know, maybe I'm taking it too seriously. There is part of me that would be looking at that going, What the hell? Like you're 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 wearing another team's jersey? You're not retired? You're not wearing a retired player's jersey. You're you're wearing a current player's jersey, and you play for us. It's like Alvin Williams, our guy back in the day, wasn't even the same league. He walked into the post game press conference wearing a Philadelphia Flyers hat, and he got roasted by fans, media, the organization. Hey man, you can't be doing that when the Flyers are playing against the Leafs and whatnot. I don't care if you're from Philly, and I remember that being a big deal. And I don't that that to me, I have less of a problem with. It's a different league, and it's from the city the dude's from. You're a current player, man. I don't know, Jonesy. What do you think? What do you think? I I it doesn't sit well with me. Like yeah, you you, you can you can go to the game, you can you can support your guys. But you play for another team in the league. Yeah. I, I don't know if I just, Hey, maybe I'm old. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. Maybe it's generational. And other people might say, "Hey, it's cool." And and I I, I don't. I'm not going to argue with it. But it's not something I would do. Or if I was management, I would say, "Hey, man, we'd appreciate." I, I'm not telling you what to do, but we'd appreciate yeah. if you if you toned it down a little. Like, okay, you're there. You're sitting. You're courtside. You're cheering for your guys because you used to play for them and they're friends, but the jersey's a little bit much. That, that's hey, just me. That's Jonesy, just me. Like, I, I'm, I, I mean, I could probably name 10 or 20 people. I just randomly pick one off the top of my head. I'm, I'm friends with Jermaine Franklin. I'm friends with a lot of people, but would that not be the equivalent of me walking around with a TSN hat on? I mean, I'm assuming that wouldn't be cool. That would probably be frowned upon by by the Rogers and the by the sports that bosses. I don't think that would go over too well if I was walking around with the three letter wearing a hat or a, or, or a sweater or something. I don't know. May, again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll put that aside now. Hey, good on That's you, Patrick strange. Beverly. Good on Patrick Beverly for being a fan. All right, we'll ask Michael Granger. Bring him in right now uh, from Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca. Uh, Michael, appreciate the time as always. And uh, what, what did you think? Did you? I, I assume you saw it, but Beverly sitting courtside in L.A. wearing that Zubats jersey and cheering on the Clips. I did not see it, but uh, it does seem a little weird. Less weird because it's Patrick Beverly. Like, I mean, the guy's just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. like some guys just love to make, to find a way to get attention. So, you know, I, I, if it was, it'd be different if it was like, uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns or something, but um, I don't think anyone's really sweating over Pat Bev. But um, yeah, it's sort of a weird one, you know. But uh, you know, because I, I mean, they're, they're going to be battling for playoff seating, right? But it's not like mm-hmm. it's not like Minnesota's out of it, and, and the Clippers are you know top of the conference or something. Like it's uh, they're pretty much neck and neck. So the uh, yeah, yeah, a bit of an odd one. But again, I, I it's, it falls in the category of Patrick Beverly who is odd, but I love him. So there you go. He's a guy that when he's on your team, Greens, you love him. Otherwise, yeah. you... Hey, you, as I said the other day, when, when he got into that thing with uh, Gary Trent Jr., you know, it's like, uh, what is it, a Wednesday night, February, Minnesota, second night of a back-to-back for them. He just signed a $13 million extension. And he's trying to get in a fight, like uh, you know, before the the ball goes up. I mean, you, you know, you need more of those guys in the league, not less. 
Hey, you know what? It's like I was just saying about All Star Weekend, right? Personality, a little bit of little personality. I don't, I don't necessarily mind it either. Even though he is one of those guys you absolutely oh, do he's, love to hate. He's so irritating, but I mean, it takes commitment to be that irritating. Like you really got to be, you got to put some effort. So good for him. Okay, I'm I'm putting you on the spot here, Michael Jonesy. I'll throw it out to you as well, and I, I mean I'm even putting myself on the spot because I'm my brain, my my wheels are spinning as I'm asking the question. Is there a guy in Raptor history that you can think of that is that is on Patrick Beverly level or close to it that we could at least throw in that category? Somebody that was was irritating, annoying, uh, in your face, but at the same time you love to have him on your team, but you'd hate him if he was on the other side. I'm, I'm, my wheels are spinning. Is there anybody popping to mind for either one of you right now? I mean, not really. I mean, that's always sort of been a short point. Uh, like, like Kyle was pretty irritating. Like, I mean, he definitely, I mean, it, it was different because he was such a great player, but you know, he was a very, like he would seem to get into some kind of annoying thing with, with somebody every other game. I mean, Oakley is a totally different category. I mean, he wasn't annoying. He was scary. Um, you know, those are the two that probably jumped to mind. Yeah. You guys, any, Jonesy, like that? Jonesy yeah. you got anybody? Yeah, Kyle was the first one that came to mind uh, for me because he, um, he, he I mean, do I say a scaled down version of Patrick Beverly, more skilled, scaled down version, uh, certainly more skilled. But I mean, he was he, he was annoying. He could be annoying. You loved him if he was on your team. If he was on the other team, you'd say, just shut up, man. Um, he wanted every call from the official. Um, just and and one of those gritty guys that I think people hated to play against because he never gave an inch or was never willing to give an inch. So uh, Kyle's one of the guys. That, but that what that's what gives your team heart culture. Uh, so I I you know I Kyle was one of those guys and I, and I think um, you know I, I don't know if I would say annoying, but in terms of guys who played hard. Man, I think back to the first year of the Raptors. Alvin Robertson set the tone along with Damon Stoudemire. I mean, I, I don't know if there were two guys in that year that played harder, more consistently. When I go from one end of the scale, one extreme to the other with the Raptors, um, you know, you, you, you had a guy like that who was, who was willing to give it to you every night. Yeah, and I mean, the thing with Alvin Robertson, I mean, he was, he was a great player like he was a you know pretty some pretty you know he definitely had some off-court issues but uh but uh, you know so so I, i'd say the one thing in this discussion is is it's kind of like what part of that of that of these qualities is relative to your whole package and i think where pat beverly is different than these other guys is it's like 75 percent of who he is right like it's like he wasn't like this no one even think about pat beverly whereas you know with kyle or with alvin robertson or, or you know it's like you know they didn't have to do any of that and then they weren't they would still be great players so it's there it's it's hard to find a there's not many guys out there like him put it that way yeah, well, the, the the two names that popped into my mind, I guess, as we've been sitting here talking about it, and I, I acknowledge one kind of has the personality, but it's more of a fun personality, not a, a under-your-skin type of personality. But I think, respectfully, he probably did get under the skin of some folks because he was having the type of fun that he was having and hamming it up with the crowd as much as he was. So I think of Jerome Williams 
because a guy that you know whether he was as as good defensively as Patrick Beverly, no, but decent defender, but a hustler, a guy that was never quit, but he was also hamming it up for the crowd and 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 always barking and throwing his hands up and trying to 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 get on his teammates. I mean, like I'm sure that rubbed some folks the wrong way. And then a guy that would be in a completely different category, I think, because he didn't have the personality, but certainly had the attitude and that that grit and that kind of edge or nastiness too. I think of a guy like Reggie Evans, not a star by any means, but he was a guy that was sandpaper, and he would not be shy to mix it up with anybody. Agreed, and, and it's like the only unfortunate thing about Reggie Evans is you know his time in Toronto was so short, mm-hmm. um, and he did get hurt, and it kind of uh, I think this anyway, but um, I think it was the year that Anthony Davis was taken first overall. And if I'm getting my dates right, it almost it kind of triggered a tank for Toronto. But I think Casey, as Brian Colangelo said to me once, uh, Casey wouldn't lose enough games. <laughs> so it was a little frustrating. <laughs> anyway, because uh, I think in the end they ended up drafting tomorrow. But again, I, I still have to check all those dates. Um, it gets fuzzy well, for me. I, I got to tell you this, Michael. When, when uh, GMs boardrooms and we say this all the time boardrooms and gms want to tank players and coaches are like hell no i'm not worried about next year i'm about the right now and if you're a coach and you see uh all all those all those l's going up against your name you're like, oh hell no, I'm not taking all of those, and that's. And you that's, better have a couple more years of my. It's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, I'll tank. You just give me a couple of year, two year extension. I'll tank all you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Unless, unless your name's Brian Flores, but maybe a different league, different sport. We'll leave, we'll we'll leave that one alone, I suppose. Uh, one other. They per- didn't want to pay him enough. Hundred grand a game. No. Yeah, I guess. Give me a maybe. million a game. Give me a million a game. I'll lose a bunch. All right, anyway, all right. Speaking with Michael Grange, uh, we can put this topic to bed maybe in one second, but I did want to give a shout-out to uh, one of our listeners, Chris Stewart. He listens regularly. He typed in the name of the suggestion Mike James as one of those guys, oh, uh, a, a Beverly-esque. Okay. And that is, that is a pretty good one. That is a pretty good yeah. one. Because even, even hey. if you take out the year where he scored a billion points for the Raptors and, and turned into this you know 20-point-per-night guy, he was one of those under-your-skin, edgy, you know, backup guards, six-man type that was just coming in and, and digging into you, and he was jaw-jacking, and, and he had a little chip on his shoulder. No, that's, a, that's actually a great call, actually, uh, yeah. for sure. And I would say this, um, it, it's not a completely comparable, but Gary Trent Jr.'s got a bit of this, right? Like, I mean, it's, he's like he carries himself a certain way. Uh, he's, you know, he talks. He is cocky. He, you know, as he showed with, with Beverly, like he's, you know, he's not going to like sort of take the high road in a little moment like that. Um, you know, I got like I, he's again slightly different category, but does he rub people the wrong way on the other team? I bet he does, and it's a good thing. Hmm. Hmm. Jared Bayless, mm, yeah, a little bit, a little, a little bit. bit. Not not enough sandpaper. I was going to say, not enough, not enough name recognition. No apologies. <laughs> no disrespect to Jared Bayless. Like we're digging, we're digging pretty deep here. Let's move on. Oh goodness, goodness. All right, Jonesy, I'll, I'll move on. See, when the guest says move on, it's time to move on to something else. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Um, Michael, at the halfway point, again, as we say for the 19th time in the show, it's not the halfway point. It's basically the two-thirds point. Uh, final 25 games of the season for the Raptors. The, uh, the softball question I lob to you is, what will it take for Toronto? And not, without looking at what everybody else is doing, just from Toronto's perspective, from what they can control, what's it going to take for them to be a top-six team? Well, it looks like it's going to take about, oh, man, you're going to need about 46, 47 wins, I think. Right? So what are they at? they got to go probably about 16 and 9, 15 and 10 minimum, mm-hmm. I would think. Like it's, uh, you know, they, they, you know, the East is just, as we've discussed all year, it's just really tough. Uh, you know, Boston's rolling. I think Atlanta's still, you know, they're still a threat. Uh, Charlotte's good, so it's kind of like, man, I, I think you got to go with sixteen and nine. Like you got to have a really strong finish. Well, I guess you have forty-seven wins, right? So yeah, that'd be, and, yeah. Michael, that that being said, um, the timetable. This was supposed to be a, for lack of a better term, and I put it in quotes, a growth and development year for Toronto, um, and all of a sudden they've done a lot of developing and they've shown a lot of growth. Uh, what do you do with the timetable? Like, is there a temptation there to, I mean, they didn't do anything at the trade deadline other than the Thad Young deal and it, it still gives them flexibility. What do you think happens to the timetable at the end of the year? Do they say, uh, you know what? Uh, we got a little bit of house money here. Let's play with it. Or let's, let's up the ante a bit. Or do they say, no, let's kind of, keep going on the path we're going and wait till the right time to really push our chips to the middle. Uh, you know, what's interesting about that, Paul is, is I don't know how many options they're going to have. Um, you know, they're they're which is why I think at the trade deadline, they were willing to be and maybe look back with a little bit of regret that they aren't, uh, they weren't a little more aggressive uh, because you know, I don't think it's a great draft anyway, and and it's very unlikely you're going to draft somebody who's going to immediately step in and 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 you know change the fortunes for you know for the guys like Pascal and Fred who are going to be 28 going into age 29 season, and then but even more relevantly, if you look at the free agent class upcoming, um, there's just not a lot there. Like it's it's you know the Raptors aren't going to be a cap team and even if they were I say a, a team that's under the cap even if they were like there's just not that many players that you'd really want to splash a ton of money at um, and you know and so when you start looking okay well what would you want to spend your mid level exception on you know go take it the list it's pretty slim picking and um, and so that's sort of where I, I'm kind of curious as to. You know, okay, if they were to decide internally, we want to push their chips in. Um, you know, I just don't know where you would spend it. And I think the other challenge this group has right now is when you look at the last time they pushed in their chips, um, you know, look how many chips they had to push in, right, when they made that, mm-hmm. that Kawhi deal, right? Like they had, yeah. you know, Norm Powell was the 11th man <laughs> on that 59-win team, right? And, uh, you know, if you look at, at the – you know the that the when they this team started really starting to take off you know out of that 206 2016 draft year you got an all-star at 27 you got an all-star 
in, in Pascal, you got an all-star who was undrafted. And then Jakob Pertl at nine, you got a guy who's going to be a 12 to 15-year NBA player, if not an NBA starter. Um, and so that was really what changed the, the trajectory of the, the team, is that in one year, you really just your expand your talent base went from you know six or seven players to to ten or eleven. You have Norm Powell, who was taken the year before a second round pick, end up being a legit NBA player. Um, you, you know those were the wins, and then when it came time to push in the chips, you had the chips, and that's where I'm kind of it's you know I, I don't know if there's going to be an external answer right now. I think they're going to have to go and pull some rabbits out of a hat and have a Justin Champagne really take off and have a Delano Banton really take off. And, and you know, those, you know, and whoever they're able to pick up this year, because I just don't see if there's a, there's a, a real access to, you know, that next, you know, that uh, a key starter, for example, that would, that would supplant anyone on this current group. So, Michael, in, in kind of packaging all that that you, you just mentioned, um, I don't know if this is a fair comparison because the team was in the conference finals last year, but, you know, you look at the Atlanta Hawks um, reaching high success last year, then struggling this year. What's the realistic path or plan if you're trying to talk to a Raptor fan right now? Like, this team is good, but they're not yet great. Like, do you, do you, do you see a path in your mind the way you just laid it out? Like, you're a couple of years away from being a true contender, or you're still a couple of moves away from being a true contender? I think it's probably a combination, right? Like, I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, as I said, I just don't see – I could be wrong. I just don't see, like, an easy – add in free agency this year. And so I think you're probably going to need to wait and allow the guys you have to get a lot better. You're going to need Scotty Barnes to get a lot better. You're going to need Preston Chichua to get a lot better. You're going to need, you know, and then out of your kind of really young guys, you're really going to have to have one or two of them hit, be it Banton or Champagne or something like that. But it, like, if we're talking a year from now and you have – you know, a true bench where let's just say for argument's sake, Malachi Flynn, Talana Benton, uh, Justin Champagne, and whoever else they kind of add around that all of a sudden are, are like proved to be really promising NBA players. And Scotty Barnes is all of a sudden proving to be an, an all-star path type player. Then all of a sudden you have a lot of chips and maybe, and maybe that's when you're trying to consolidate and, and add, you know, add some top-end talent. But um, but I think it's probably patience is kind of the game right now. I agree, Michael. Um, and, and, you know, we talked to, you talked about it the last time they pushed their chips in to get Kawhi. Uh, you know, people were kind of saying, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're pushing your chips in for a guy who wasn't healthy, uh, may not be able to – like, you're taking a real chance here. Oh, but my God. At, that was a massive risk, yeah. Oh, but but you look at the guys, Michael, and building that championship team, and I, and this is where I, I agree with you. And 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 people are always well, we don't get any free agents in Toronto. Well, how many free agents go to Denver? How many free agents go to Milwaukee? How many big free agents go to like, uh, you know, to, to even when they had all that money to Chicago back in the early two thousands? Like, free agents go to a couple places, and and it depends on who's there. So. I'm with you. Stay patient, develop those things, and then trade them, trade assets, and, and, and trade up. I mean, you look at moving for DeMar, you, you move 
uh, DeMar and Pirtle, an, an asset, a, a future, and then a, a draft pick that became Keldon Johnson. Okay, you got a title out of it. For Marcus Gasol, I mean, people are like, wow, wouldn't JV look good? Yeah, he would look good right now, but you might not have that banner hanging up there if you didn't have Marcus Gasol. And, and you, look, you look at what they've done in, in, in just continually developing the assets and then rolling them over. And I think, to me, in Toronto, that's the game plan. And it's become part of the culture now for me, too. Yeah, it has to be. And, and just as a note on free agency, like free agency is almost dead, right? Like nobody is – players aren't, aren't – are, are, you know, they've, it's been shown over and over again. You can sign your extension and still force your way out of, out of town. So, you know, name me the last prominent player who actually went completely free agency and gave up signing that five-year deal to, to take a four-year deal to get out of town. Like, it just doesn't happen. I know there are examples, but they're rarer. They're more and more rare. So, you know, even if you were a free agency destination, you still generally have to have – assets and a lot of assets both in draft pick and young players plus a couple of contracts you're willing to get off of or need to get off of to to make a trade like you know lebron james was traded right like he didn't side right? like uh you know you look or you look around the league the major players that have moved they've generally been trades and not free agents that have moved and so again to your point uh i think where the Raptors are right now is they're still in an accumulation phase. They, they need to, I think they were willing to try and jumpstart things if they could have got, you know, a, a player who had term on his contract and it almost would have been your, your off season move, but you'd make it in season this year. I, I know they were very serious about doing that. They might even thrown two picks into a deal if, if the right player was available. But, you know, you look at the players who didn't move and that kind of tells the story of this trade deadline. So off-season-wise, you know, I'm sure they'll kind of be looking at a similar type opportunity and, and, and all of that just because, they're, again, they, there is a little bit of urgency just because Pascal and, and Fred aren't exactly, you know, they're vet, they're young vets, but they are vets. Um, but short of that, you know, I just think that you're going to have to keep improving internally, hope Scotty really hits it, hope OG really hits it. And then of your young guys, be it, as I said, Precious or, or Champagne or Banton, I think is a really interesting one. Uh, you know, if one or two of those guys can really hit it, then, then the conversation is much different. Michael, appreciate the time. As always, enjoy the, uh, the weekend, enjoy the week, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, at some point, uh, I guess, back at uh, Scotiabank Arena, probably with a whack of fans come March 1st. All the best, yeah. man. All right, guys. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Michael. There is Michael Grange from Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca. And, yes, indeed, as I just noted there, Jonesy, based on everything uh, we're hearing and reading the tea leaves and seeing what uh, the government uh, is, is doing, the Maple Leafs and the Senators are going to have 50% capacity for a couple of weeks. And by March 1st, it's looking like it should be 100% capacity uh, for Raptor games and, again, for the Leafs and Sens as well uh, as we close out the final 25 games of the season. But not for a week. A week today, the Raptors will be in action. They played on Wednesday, so nine days off until their next game. And uh, most of them enjoying All-Star Weekend by going somewhere, getting a little vacation. Not Precious Achua, Scotty Barnes, and uh, Fred Van Vliet. They'll have to put their plans on hold for at least a couple of days and then, you know, jet set somewhere on Monday. But uh, 
uh, a full week off for most around the association. We're going to step aside here for a break. When we come back, though, we are hitting up your questions. It's time for you to get involved in Smith and Jones. So if you've already done so, great. Thank you. If you haven't, Send them in now because we'll try to squeeze them in, get in as many as we can before the end of the show. Your questions, your comments, your queries next. Hit us up at 590-590 on the text line or on social media. On Twitter, Paul double underscore Jones, Eric double underscore Smith. You are on tap next on Smith & Jones.